I don't know about you, when I'm looking for a plumber, I like to read my reviews. HomeAdvisor.com gave me some reviews on our sponsor, Art of Plumbing. Called them. They arrived on time. Immediately found the plumbing issue and fixed it right the first time. I called them last year and it was great. I called them again this year because I had a problem again. They came out, they fixed the problem. They even gave me solutions to help stop the problem in the future at 541-9405. Hey, come take a walk with me. Not like you used to do. Do something different and put yourself in other people's shoes. Open up your mind and open up your eyes and change your direction, change your perspective. Welcome into Other People's Shoes. As you know, I'm your host, Neil Matthews. Thank you so much for joining us today. I uh, just want to call everyone's attention to our new redesigned website. Super excited about that. That, of course, being www.opspodcast.com. Cool things to take a look at while you're there. Of course, our new shoe store. That's right. We have a shoe store. Not the shoe store you may be thinking of, but we do have a new shoe store, and we're pretty excited about that. So go check that out. An amazing donation page if you're interested in donating to the show. We, of course, have have some links there for you available as well. And, of course, guest appearances where yours truly have been on other people's shows. That is a podcast, by the way, other people's shows. I don't know. It may be good. It may be not. I don't know. Go check that out maybe, too, if you're interested. But, of course, visit us on the daily social medias, of course, being Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And join that conversation, guys, because every day from now till the end of the year, we're going to have a daily historical event that took place. In fact, one that jumps out at me, the day the Chips show arrived. That was back in 1977, in case you were wondering. So I know you didn't come here to hear me. You came here to hear our guest. Welcome in our guest. I'm so excited to sit with this guy. He has an inspiring podcast of his own. He's, he's also an author, a speaker, a trainer, a husband, a father a business owner, and probably more important than all of those titles, he is a follower of Jesus. He's the author of eight business-oriented books. One of his books, a marketing book, Double Your Contacts, has been purchased by over 313,000 people. That's staggering. And his book, Cold Call for God, has been used by countless pastors to help grow their churches. He's currently working on a book right now called Shattered Men, How to Recover and Rebuild Your Life from Divorce, Illness, Job Loss, and Other Masculating Disasters. That podcast I was talking about? Yeah, he's the producer of Men of Honor Podcasts, which strives to help men become better husbands, stronger fathers, better providers, and a bold men of faith. Help me welcome in my guest, Michael J. Durkin, or as his friends like to call him, MJ Durkin. How are you today, sir? Hey, Neil. Really uh, excited to be here. Thanks so much for uh, inviting me, and uh, really uh, uh, thanks for sharing your audience with me. MJ, it is our pleasure to share our audience with you. I think I think you're one of these guys, uh, if I was going to put you in a category, and, and this may be some big shoes to fill, So, so here we go. There's the shoe reference already out of the way. I think of you almost like a Zig Ziglar. Is is that too is that too big of shoes to put you in? Well, no, I I, I like those shoes. I don't know if I'm as tall as Zig, and I don't know if at uh, you know at 75 years old I'll be able to do 100 push-ups on the stage as I saw him once do. Uh, but uh, you know, uh, yeah, I I uh, I like the reference. I I I can feel that uh, 
I can feel that Zig likes it too. So thank you for that. That's awesome. <laughs> no, I mean it. When I heard a, a little bit of your stuff and, and, and quite a bit, of, actually quite a bit of your stuff, I immediately thought, man, this guy reminds me of Zig Ziglar from the standpoint of the energy, the quotes, the uh, the just presence, the stage presence that you seem to have. Um, I, I was I was actually blown away by a lot of what your stuff is. So so thanks for giving us some moments today. Now, I know you're in the great state of Connecticut, which I'm kind of excited about because I always had aspirations of going to this little place called Bristol, Connecticut. Are you familiar with that place at all? I am. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great town. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think they have this little, I mean, it's a very small company. People probably have never really heard of it. It's like a mom and pop kind of place at ESPN. Are you familiar with them at all? (laughs) Espen. Yeah. I've heard of Espen before. Yeah. Espen is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I actually met a guy the other day who, a man the other day who had a, a new, a new pup dog and he called him as Espen. That was his, that was his name, Espen. That's awesome. Yeah. I actually had aspirations of going to the university of Connecticut and I was, uh, had dreams of interning at ESPN. So that was, uh, that was my dream. And, uh, I think, uh, someone else had other ideas because obviously I'm not in Bristol, Connecticut. I'm in Oregon. Eagle Point specifically, so so there's that. But uh, but MJ, let's get into you and in these shoes that we're wearing today. By the way, what size shoes are you wearing today? I, I am uh, eight and a half. All right, eight and a half. And is there a certain brand or style that you love to wear more than another? Um, no, all all kinds of shoes I like to wear. Okay, is there is there like a favorite? Is there like a favorite pair or is there, is there one that like, I don't know. I don't know. Are you not, you're just probably not a shoe guy maybe. Uh, let's see. I, I, I have some, uh, some real b- uh, boots that I like and I can't think of the name of the boots right now. <laughs> That's okay. Boots are good. Like, like boots are fun, right? Are they like yeah. hiking boots or are they yeah, like yeah, combat yeah. They're, boots? They're or? like great hiking boots. Yeah. Okay. All right. Hiking boots. All right. Fair enough. All right. And now we're in MJ's boots. So uh, I got to ask you, what is the best thing about living in Connecticut? Well, actually, probably the best thing about uh, living in Connecticut is the woods. We've got a ton of uh, of woods around here, beautiful trees and mountains, and uh, uh, the beautiful bot- the beautiful Bonnie and I live on uh, about six acres of trees uh, with a river behind us. So it's um. It's uh, it's some pretty nice looking pro- property around here. That's awesome. It sounds a little bit like Oregon because we have our fair amount of, of trees and hiking trails and things like that. Of course, you know, sometimes we don't have as much of that because we've had fires out here. And so, um, you know, that's been obviously pretty tough. But uh, yeah. I, I, I look forward to maybe when the next summer comes to see you know, what has been destroyed, uh, from these fires, these fires have just been crazy. So anyway, but, uh, but you brought us this really amazing date for you and that's May 31st, 2000. Why for you is that date so significant? Well, that was the weekend that, uh, my life really changed, uh, dramatically, uh, because it was the actual date of me moving out of my uh, home uh, and being, um, 
you know, basically decided my my wife that it was time to end our marriage. Um, uh, pretty much with her being the divorce seeker, and and that was the weekend that um, uh, my uh, whole life kind of uh, imploded. And um, I had two boys, uh, nine years old and uh, five years old, and uh, it was just tearing my heart up. It was just tearing me up to uh, to have to leave them. But uh, that was the day that uh, uh, that um, I decided to move out. It was Memorial Day, I believe it was was it Memorial Day weekend. And um, and that was the day that uh, everything kind of crashed big time. I was in I was in a world of pain and a world of hurt. What what do you think brought about those painful stuff? I mean, like, like what goes through her mind when she comes home and says basically, "Hey, I'm done. Um, I don't I don't want to have anything to do with you or the the marriage or or anything. Maybe even the kids. I mean, I don't know. But but can you walk us back through that date if you don't mind? Yeah, yeah. Well, this certainly wasn't something that was um, uh, that was just all of a sudden. It was uh, um, a struggle. You know, my my uh, my my wife and I had, had met at college. We were college. So we got married young at 22, and um, uh, we had been together for about two and a half years. And um, and we started struggling. Um, probably uh, the real struggle happened uh, in our relationship about. 10 or 12 years into that relationship, um, we, uh, we were blessed to have, um, my wife got pregnant with a, uh, with a little girl and, uh, we, uh, uh, unfortunately at, at nine months and two weeks, um, we lost our daughter, uh, as a stillborn birth, uh, the cord was wrapped around her neck four times. And, um, so, you know, we were on a pretty good path up until then. And, uh, uh, you know, and as many people will tell you that we'll lose a child, um, uh, it was a devastating blow for us. And uh, uh, it, it altered the core of our, our relationship. Uh, and I don't think we ever really got back on track after that. But we were able to get our, you know, to, to grieve, get our act together enough to have, you know, our first son, Corey, and then our second son, Tyler. So, I think uh, I think that was another date that was real difficult, obviously, uh, and uh, and that kind of put a real strain on our uh, our relationship. I think uh, uh, really for forever. That is uh, that's some tough stuff to walk through, right? I mean, uh, uh, my wife and I uh, we had a miscarriage as well. We were not uh, as far along as you, and it sounds like you and your uh, ex-wife were, but uh, but nonetheless, I think any time somebody walks through the death of a child, um, whether it be an abortion, whether it be you know anything like that, I, I think anytime there's a child death involved, it's just tough stuff. It's just tough sledding, and and my heart kind of goes out to you in that respect to 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 just wonder that if. Do you think if those events hadn't taken place, that if your daughter had had been born and and been healthy and all of that, do you? I mean, of course, it's hard to speculate, but do you think the the marriage still would have ended? I don't know. I, I it's a good question. I I mean, uh, you know, I mean, you know, God knows how the book is supposed to end. <laughs> so you know, uh, uh, there obviously were other issues uh, in the marriage, but I think that was a big. Uh, um, you know, I, I feel like I did my grieving. I went to therapy. 
I would say that I, I grieved really hard for about a year after that. And, uh, and I really worked hard to, you know, um, with, with a therapist, with my pastor on, on, uh, on really going into the, facing that grief and really letting it go through me. I'm not sure that my, my former wife, um, uh, was able to do that. And, and I think that that probably gave us some leftover problems after, you know, even after our sons were born, she was still very fearful, very worried about losing a child. Uh, and I, and I never begrudged her that. I mean, I understood that, you know, she was the one that lost the baby inside of her and, and, uh, and, and believe me, Neil, I, I tried my best to, to be there for her, for her as much as I could. But I'll be honest with you, I, I was so young, I was about 31 at the time, and I just really wasn't man enough to be able to handle the pain and also be a shock absorber for her, for her pain. So um, as you know, statistics will show you that most, uh, most couples don't, don't last long term after the death of a child. Yeah, I, I, I was aware of that. I, I don't know what the statistics are. I, I mean, I've heard... Well, I mean, I guess I do know on some levels. I've heard as as high as seventy percent. Um, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. It's if definitely it's definitely that high, if not more. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if it's that high, but I but I did hear that somewhere. So I'm wondering about this date. Not only does the marriage end, but but the relationship ends. I mean, a lot of stuff ends that day for you. How has that date affected you going forward? Well, that uh, that date uh, and that devastation of uh, you know um, has has really given me my passion for uh, helping men and helping families to stay together, uh, and um, and and seeing full on the impact you know of of uh, the, the the pain, the residual uh, uh, you know problems in a family. I mean, it's uh, uh, you know my my. Parents did not divorce. Um, uh, my my former wife did come from a family that was divorced, uh, and um, so uh, it uh, it it's it's still Neil today, twenty years later, it still affects uh, my sons, even though they're grown now. And and but um, you know, but that uh, uh, that event, that date of of May thirty first, that really put a passion in my heart for trying to see what happened, what were, what were my mistakes? You know, I often say on my podcast, you know, listen, don't get me wrong. I, I, I was a husband, I was faithful, but, um, but, but I, there was a hundred things I could have been doing better <laughs> as a husband. <laughs> you know, I, I made a lot of mistakes. I didn't understand how to be a good husband, a good provider. I was a pretty decent father, even though I was stumbling through that. But, um, uh, but that day, I'll tell you one one of the interesting stories about that weekend, though, is that is that my sons um, uh, they insisted on coming with me uh, when I left that first week. And of course, we had talked to the boys that was that it was going to happen, and they were prepared for it. And everybody, we had all cried together. And and um, but they insisted with me to my mom's house and and sleep with me that first weekend. So uh, the the two of them were. My nine-year-old and my five-year-old were in the bed, Corey and Tyler. Both of their middle names are Michael, by the way, Tyler Michael, Corey Michael. And, um, and, and they're both sleeping in the, in the twin bed in my sister's old room. And, uh, and, MJ's, and MJ's sleeping on the floor. <laughs> 
so that was kind of fun. We kind of we tried to make it fun for the boys to be like on a camp out with their dad in his new new living situation. But um, I can tell you that if if I can help a, a family not have to go through that, uh, that's the mission that I have in my life. That's that's what I'm trying to do with my my ministry of the men of honor. Well, and, and I can tell that. I mean, that is your passion lane. Obviously, that's that's where you're you're finding your not only strength to encourage, but, you know, it's so much easier. And I think you can come from a place of um, authority almost from a, from a standpoint of saying, man, I've walked through this. Let me help you avoid, you know, these roadblocks, these minefields, um, because unfortunately, you know, life is full of those. And, you know, life has its, its challenges and, you know, my dad being a former Marine, one of the jobs he did in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, was he was a minesweeper. And and I thought, man, wouldn't it have been great if somebody had just said, okay, you know, uh, Gunny, here's where all the mines are. You know, yeah, you have this tool, this minesweeping tool, but what if we told you, like, that's not going to pick up everything? You know, what if there was a guide there to say, nope, don't step there. Don't, no, don't, don't step there. And it sounds like that's what you're providing for men from the sound of it, right? Well, yeah, the, 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 the idea there is that, um, you know, and I, and, and I'll tell you what I, what I did to survive because I was really, really devastated. I was broken. And I remember a friend of mine who I'd known since, um, since grammar school. And, and I said to him, I said, I feel like God has left me. Uh, he said to me, he was really worried about me. So I've never worried about you, Michael, because you've always had a strong faith in God. And, um, and, and we grew up together in the same church. And, um, uh, and he said, you really scared me when you said you, when you felt that God had left you. And so what I did to survive was I, um, I instinctively knew, Neil, that I needed to have men around me. And what a lot of men do is, is something that I had done is I had given up my men. I had given up my boys. Every man has his boys, right? Uh, whether it be in, in grammar school or, or in high school or in college, uh, you know, every, every man has his group of boys or men that he hangs out with. And like most men, I had given up all of my masculine uh, relationships. I didn't hang out with my, my men on a regular basis. Uh, and, and by the way, just so you know, I, I like using the word man and men instead of guys. Um, so, uh, so, so many times men will give up their masculine support. And so I realized that when I got divorced, that I needed to have men around me help to heal the wound, this deep wound. Because let me tell you, when, when, when a man who really loves his family gets, the arrow of divorce driven into his chest. It is a very deep arrow and it takes a while to pull it out. And really the only ones that can help him pull it out are other men. And so I decided, uh, uh, you know, to, to do a, um, uh, to start getting men around and to start helping other men. And by helping other men, I learned how to pull the arrow out and to start healing the wound. Now, I, th I think that's a great analogy because again, I, I, I think so many times, at least in, at least in my memory and in my scope of focus is the fact that 
we don't really know what someone else has walked through. We don't know someone else's experience. We, again, we look at this, this book of them, the outside appearance, and we start immediately judging like, okay, I know this about them. I know this about them. I know this. Well, look at their clothes. We do this. We do this. And I've been in men's groups. I'm in one currently. Um, and I got to be honest, if I'm, if I'm going to be candid with you <laughs> for, I know we just met, like, well, I know we've traded some emails, but we're meeting now virtually. Sure. I didn't want to go to a men's group. And I'll tell you why my major one reason why I didn't want to go is because I feel like men turn it into a measuring contest. Now, ladies who are listening are going to be like, what do you mean by measuring contest? Go home and ask your husband, boyfriend, whoever your man in your life, whoever that may be, and ask him this question. Do you ever feel like it turns into a measuring contest? Do you know what I mean by that, MJ, by the way? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I never I never heard it uh, a measuring contest. Um I, I like that term. Uh, but one by of the, the way, we're not talking about uh appendages, yeah, yeah, we're not by the way. Just, ruler, just, no. just be clear. We're not, we're we're not talking about an appendage. So yeah, yeah, yeah. we're no, not going is, there. This is Here's the problem when men get together. When men get together in any kind of a group, uh, men try to alpha up on the other men. And if you're like in in a Bible study, it's the man who, you know, who starts taking center stage, always has, you know, he always knows his scripture and he's always giving advice. So, so, you know, he's <laughs> pointing to himself. My hand's so, up on that. I don't want to interrupt you, but my hand, my hand is up on that one. That's me. No, but, that, but that's the, the problem in a circle. I call them circles of power. And, and if you want to really getting your masculine core back, if you want to get your masculine edge, you need to get in a circle of men. And you're absolutely right, Neil, is that there's men that are going to try to alpha up and are going to want to say that, you know, you're less than they're more than, and they won't even say those words. They'll just do it by like dominating the conversation or saying, bro, you, you know, you're wrong there. You shouldn't be doing that with your wife. You shouldn't say that. And they'll become like the lawgivers. So no doubt that being in a circle of men is a, it's kind of a scary thing because you have to kind of get your place. But you know, the other thing that's interesting is that when you get into a good circle of they will they will test you. And if you've ever watched two dogs, you know, smell each other and and, <laughs> you know, it's a similar kind of dance. And and uh, what men provide a very valuable uh, service for each other by uh, by testing and teaching and seeing seeing if you can take some guff, you know, and that's something that you won't find typically in, uh, you know, let's say other. But if it's just men, I like to say that one of the reasons uh, one of the reasons for men to get together and just with just men around is that it's only really in the ritual space of men being together that men's wounds can really be healed. And it's not that women don't provide a very valuable um, a nurturing and healing and forgiveness and love, but there's something about a circle of men that understands the pain of men and. Uh, one of the things that I love about about Christian ministry is that is that um, there's a real understanding that the men should be off on their own and the women should be off on their own. And the great thing about many church ministries is that they respect that space. And that's very valuable because you're not going to see a lot of healing. The minute the minute uh, Robert Bly used to say the minute that the, the women come into the room, would watch all the unity of the men completely disperse 
for the for the chance and the ability to flirt with and to impress women. <laughs> so the minute the minute the women come into the circle, the unity of the men totally uh, just totally implodes. And that's why it's so important to have that circle. But you're completely right. It's um, it's kind of a pain when you first walk in there because you got to prove yourself and you're just going to have to do that. Yeah, I, I as I said, like I was, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty outgoing guy. I'm an extroverted guy. I love I love being around people when I'm not around people. Obviously, you know, I'm, I'm a weird kind of duck in that respect that uh, when I'm not around people, my energy level gets drained down. But when I am around people, my tank gets filled up again, if, if that makes sense. And so that's kind of how I'm wired. I know everyone isn't wired that way. And, and I've been teased, perhaps, maybe even made fun of that I'm not a normal guy, that I'm not man enough because uh, I'm that way. And so I'm like, well, you know, the first couple of times I went to this men's group at our church, I'm like, man, here we go. You know, it's the one-up guy, right? You say, well, yeah, I know you've been in sales for a long time, as I, as I have. You're like, well, you know, I just closed this amazing deal. And you start talking about the deal, and you're excited about it, right? Because you, you closed this amazing deal. And the guy's like, well, I closed like seven of those last week, you know? And you're like, <laughs> cool. And then you're like, well, man, I, I just read this amazing passage in the Bible. And the dude's like, yeah, well, I can read Psalms and Aramaic, Greek, and, and Hebrew. What do you got? You know, and it's just like this constant, you know, measuring contest. That's what I mean by that. So I'm just clarifying my statement, uh, building into what you're saying. But I want to go back to two statements you said. You said you weren't man enough. Could you help define that for me? Tell me the tell me the context. Of well, what, what did you, I say? That you were you were talking about when when the divorce happened and and that there were certain things in your life and you said you just didn't feel man enough to to do. I don't I, and I can't remember exactly what you were saying and I probably should have called you on it right then and there. Not called you on it, but yeah, yeah, but yeah, brought it to okay. your attention right right then and there. But I I think I was referring to being man enough to uh, understand my role as a man, to being able to be the provider that my family needed to be the, um, uh, you know, the, 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 the man that was the rock for my family. I didn't know how to be man enough to put my own grief aside and to be there for my former wife. And, and when we went through that horrible grieving process, I wasn't man enough. To, I, nobody had ever trained me you know, to understand that I needed to be there for my woman. And, um, and I didn't know how to do it. If I had had some training and I'm going to say this, this is very important. What I'm about to say is that, is that the problem with men is we have no training manual on how to deal with these kinds of devastating things. And sometimes they get revealed, uh, you know, at, at a men's group or, or something of that nature or in therapy, but the fact is, is that n nobody tells you your role as a man as it relates to, say, a, a devastating emotion like a death. You don't know what you're supposed to do. So I wasn't man enough to I couldn't figure it out because I did not have a training manual, no technology. I think it's Michael Thompson who who wrote the book, The, uh, the Heart of the Warrior. He said, men don't know how much they don't know. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and the fact is, is that, you know, how do we learn how to become, well, 
you know, maybe we watch our fathers. Um, we, we see the kind of men that they are and how they handle situations, but there literally is not like any steps or technology or like, this is who you should be as it, this is the kind of romancer that you should be after you're married for 10 years. This is what you should do with a financial problem. This is how you should handle it with your wife. Here's how you handle a discipline problem with one of your kids. We don't have a manual like that. And most men wing it and they hope that they're going to do okay. I wasn't man enough to do that stuff. And I also did not know what the heck to do. I appreciate you breaking that down for us. Um, so I, I did some research on this one. Um, this is from uh, fatherhood.org. Okay. So they're, they're quoting the Census Bureau. So according to the U.S. Census Bureau, 19.7 million children or more, so that's, that's one in four, live without a father. So 19.7 million children basically in this country are growing up without a father figure or father in their home. That's staggering to me, by the way. Yeah, I, I think the uh, I think the number is low. <laughs> you think it's low? I think it's low. Okay. Yeah, yeah that the number is about twenty five percent, right? Yeah, that's what they're saying. Yeah, about twenty five percent. I think it's closer to forty or fifty percent in reality. That wow. that the that families uh, that are that do not have a father in the home. Look, uh, here's here's a statistic for you that I know for sure: forty one percent of all children right now are being born out of wedlock. There's no marriage between the two partners that are having the child. And I said this on my Men of Honor podcast the other day. I said, how, 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 do, how, does, a, how does a young boy learn how to become a man if there is no father in the house? And so what happens is, is that the mother tries desperately to try to replace uh, the, the role of the father. And she tries, and the women are very, very good intentioned. I, you know, I, I said, uh, I said the other day in the podcast, I said, I said, I, I'm going to talk about divorce. And I want you to know that I think women are magnificent. I think they are amazing. They flow incredible amounts of love. They can do uh, unbelievable things. And, and I said, and you got to understand, I am, I am really pro men and women being together. You're, you, men and women are much better together. And I said this to the beautiful Bonnie the other day. I said, you know, I, I was on the podcast. I said, men are better if they're with a woman, right? The, the, the Bible's very clear. A good, a good wife is, is more valuable than rubies. Man, I mean, that's, you, you know, your marriage can be a tremendous asset to you are not seeing it that way. And, uh, and you're really shortchanging the children when there's not a father or a mother in the home. How does the young boy become a father uh, to become a man? He cannot learn it from the feminine. The feminine can have all kinds of great intentions, but the way that men, that boys become men is they go shoulder to shoulder with their fathers and they hang out with them. And there is an energy that is passed to the boy from the man that you can't get it any other way. You can't get it any other way. And in our training, we call it the spot welding moment. And I've taken, I've had 200 men in a seminar and I have said, tell me the moment 
that you spot welded with your father. Tell me a moment that you remember. And I will tell you that, Neil, that 90% of all of those moments have to do with being shoulder to shoulder with the father. We were chopping wood. We were hunting. We were, you can't imagine how many fishing moments I hear from fathers and sons. My, my, own, my own spot welding moment was my brother and I, my younger brother, two years younger, were with my father on the Appalachian Trail on a four-day hike, sleeping under the stars. Father caught a rainbow trout and he took it out of the, the stream. He gutted it and he cooked it for us right there. And, and we ate the most delicious lunch that I ever had in my life. And I can tell you, I could, I could go, I could talk for 20 minutes about the details. I can taste that fish. That was me with my father in the woods bonding. That was a spot welding moment. And every man has one or two, or maybe even a half a dozen, hopefully, but every man has one or two spot welding moments where they can remember, wow, that's when I really connected with my father and bonded with him. But see, I think that's the challenge. I don't know if I have a spot welding moment with my father. I have mm. a very good friend of mine who, you know, I don't know the intimate details of his relationship with his father, but I would imagine he probably doesn't have one either. I have a couple of friends that don't even know who their biological father is. So how do we fix that? If, if you mm -hmm. could somehow, and, and I know there's no such thing as magic powers or things like that, but somehow if you could make a sweep with your hands over <laughs> not only this, this country, the United States, but this world, how the heck would you fix this problem, you personally? Yeah, so that's a really fascinating question. Um, so the real answer there is, is to find the love of the heavenly father and to be fathered by the, the heavenly father is the, that's the ultimate father love, right? And when a man can't find that in his earthly father or his earthly parents, obviously that, that is the place that we want to go. The love of Jesus, the love of the heavenly father, the, 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 the thing that you have to look for in 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 the in the uh, in the natural okay so that's the supernatural love right and that's where in my opinion that's the uh, that's the healing love above all love um and and if if you didn't have a father figure that flowed that love to you through 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 them and gave you that father example one of the things you have to do is you have to find a mentor or you have to Attract someone who can give you an example, an earthly example of the Heavenly Father's love. And I've always been, uh, I, I've made a lot of mistakes in my life, but I'll tell you, I have always been really, really good at attracting great male mentors. And I found them when I was, was practicing martial arts when I was a, a young teenager. Um, uh, mostly my sports usually had to do with judo and martial and I, I attracted some great senseis and, uh, uh, and in my church, a great pastor. And also in a men's group, um, I attracted a man who uh, was about 20 years older than myself. His name was Carl Palmieri. 
And my father died very young. He died at 58 years old. Uh, but, um, but I believe that Carl Palmieri was sent by my father to help me get through my divorce. And he became that image of the father for me and flowed that heavenly father's love. So my advice is, is go out, pray, pray and ask God to provide you with a mentor, someone who can coach you and mentor you to become the man that you've always wanted to be. Wow. I love that. I love that a lot. You know what that actually reminds me of when you're rolling that out or, or kind of putting that on display for us is, and I love this movie. It's the Karate Kid. It's the original one with Ralph Macchio, right? Ralph Macchio, you know, he's Daniel LaRusso. He moves from New Jersey to California. If you haven't seen this movie, like, where have you been? You know, maybe our younger listeners haven't haven't seen this movie yet. Not the one with Will Smith's kid. I'm talking about the 80s version, you know, with, with Johnny Lawrence and all that. But I say all that because Daniel didn't have a father in that movie at all. Like, we never see right. his dad. I, I don't think there's any really mention of his dad. But he doesn't have one. And all of a sudden, he meets Mr. Miyagi, which becomes his sensei, becomes his father figure. There's so many spot-welding moments in those you know, three movies with him and Mr. Miyagi to the point where... You know, he he has Miyagi Dojo in the new, you know, Cobra Kai uh, miniseries that's going on on Netflix right now, which, by the way, is fantastic. I, I've watched that uh, twice all the way through both seasons. Anyway, not plugging their stuff, but but just a fan, <laughs> just a fan, 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 fan guying right now. But I want to ask you this other question. What is one thing that you are absolutely certain about? That I was certain about in reference to. Just in general, when you hear that statement, what what comes to mind? What what wells up in your soul when you when I when you hear the statement? I am absolutely certain about this. I am absolutely certain that God wants the best for me, and that God is and God has always had my back. Yeah, that's how I. That's how I. I, I was about this on the Men of Honor podcast. And I said, you know, one of the things um, I have an episode called something like uh, how to survive, you know, um, a massive disappointment and monumental loss. And I talked about losing our daughter. And I said, you know, um, at the time, I would have given anything in the world to have her live. I, I prayed to God. I said, take take my house away, take my career away, take my car, I, anything that you want. I, I, I don't need anything. I just want her back. And of course, you know, it was a prayer of desperation. And and um and so uh and and I wanted to do anything to get out of that pain. But what I didn't see was God's plan for me was that a year and a half later, a little boy would be born. Um, my oldest, Corey Michael, and Corey Michael was a, an incredibly difficult soul. He was. Now I'm being really nice. This is a Christian podcast, and you know, I mean, he was the. I, he was brutal. I mean, he didn't sleep. He used to headbutt us. Uh, he would bite us. He was the, I mean, my, my ex-wife and I used to look at each other and say, 
did you think it was going to be like this? And we'd say, no, I haven't slept in two years. It's like, it's, I mean, he's like a devil child. And, uh, and, you know, and one of the things that I realized was that God was preparing me to want Corey so bad that I was able to show him unconditional love. And when he would go into his rages, so now he's three and four and five and six and seven and eight years old, and he would go into these rages and I would hold him and he would kick and scream and bite and headbutt. And I got to tell you, Neil, the, the record of holding him one night was three and a half hours that I held him because I refused to drug him. And, uh, and, and they, the doctors wanted me uh, and, my, and my former wife to drug him, and I refused. And so I said, what am I going to do when he goes into his, his fits? And they said, well, you're going to have to hold him because you can't have him, you know, <laughs> hurting himself or hurting his br younger brother. And so I used to have to hold him for hours at a time. But you see, God knew what, what, what he was doing because I wanted that boy so badly I, there was nothing I wanted more than to be a father after my daughter died. And so, you know, I, I, uh, I then became the man. I often say my son helped me become the man I am today because I learned how to stand for him and I learned how to handle his rage and still him love. But I know that God prepared me for that with that horrible trial of losing our daughter in the first place. I trust God. God seems to know what God is doing. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's powerful stuff there. Three hours—that's insane. I, I can't even imagine that. What it makes me think about, though, as you as you retell that, those series of events, it almost puts me in your son's place, and and not elevating you higher than 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 I think you would ever want to be elevated. But you're the father. You're the heavenly father in this scenario, and we we as a world, we as men, maybe are your son. Kicking, fighting, biting, screaming, crying, you know, making, I'll say it, probably created a lot of hell in your life, a lot of hell in your relationship. I mean, a lot of trials and tribulations and the heartache and just angst and anger and disappointment and all the things that you could put in there, whatever adjective you want to insert in there, we'll leave it blank. People can fill that in. But it reminds me, it's, I think it's a perfect picture of how our relationship is sometimes with God because we're angry, we're mad, we're frustrated, we're, we're so irritated, and he's just holding us and saying, you know, it's going to be okay. But I think for so many of us, we don't understand the love of the Father. You know, I have struggled for years with the Chris Tomlin song, Good, Good Father. It's a popular Christian song. It's a popular worship song. It's a pretty easy song to play on the guitar from what I hear. But I say all that because I we sang it one time in church. Not one time. I think we sang it for seven straight Sundays to close out our services. Mm. The first couple of weeks, I was like, man, I hate this song. By the end of the seventh week, I'm like, if I hear the song, Good, Good Father, again, so help me God, <laughs> I'm leaving this church because I'm so <laughs> mad because it's the same analogy for me. I have struggled for years with seeing this heavenly father that you're describing as this good, good father. You even said during one of your statements today, 
you felt like God has left you. Not only have I felt that way a time or two that God has left me, but there have been times in my life that my earthly father was like, I'm done. Because much like your son, I was very, I don't know if I was to the extreme that he was, but man, I would kick the wall. I would tell my parents I hated him. I would, I would wish him dead. I, I was a very angry child. And I, I, I'm one of those kids that got spanked at Disneyland. Like, I mean, I don't wear it as a badge of honor. I'm just saying to give you perspective that I'm in the happiest, again, quote, quote unquote, the happiest place on earth. And I'm miserable because I'm getting spanked behind this, like, you know, shed behind Disney. I don't even know where it is. I probably doesn't even exist anymore. But my point is, is that I, I think you just gave us a perfect analogy of where men are right now of this idea that they're fighting so hard to push against what God is trying to do. And God's just saying, let me come and hold you. Let me be this good, good father for you. And we're like, F you, God, I don't want you. I don't want you. I don't want you. I don't want anything to do with you. And I think that's part of our problem. But I want to, I want to end with one question for you. And and of course you can respond to what I said when I give you this question, but, but where do you think you would be if these events didn't happen? Like, like if you could go back, let me restate that. Actually, I'm going to delete that. <laughs> if you could change anything about those events, what would you change? <sighs> I, I, I don't think I would change any of them. I, I really wouldn't, you know, because, because I really do believe that, uh, uh, that it was the it was the it was the the trial of of every bit of it that has given me the life that I have today. You know, if if I didn't have those struggles, if I didn't become the man that I am today, I, I wouldn't be able to be you know happily married to the beautiful Bonnie. I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't have rebuilt my life. You know, I I. Uh, I did an episode the other day in the podcast. I I, call, I called it the cost and damage of divorce, and then I subtitled it how I rebuilt my life um, after divorce. And um, one of the things that has helped me so much is that um, in all of the things that I went through in my former marriage have made me, um, you know, a much better partner for you know my amazing and beautiful wife um, and. Uh, I wouldn't change any of it. I would go through all of it exactly the same. Um, I, I might, uh, I might have been able to shorten up some of the times, time, times, you know, with some of the knowledge that I have now. But the fact is, is that you go through what you go through in order to become the person that you're going to come out as. And I'm pretty happy with the person that I'm, that, that I've, I've emerged from all of that, that, that stuff. So, you know, I'm, I've, I've got a great relationship. My wife, my my children are in my life. I have two bonus children um, that are awesome, and uh, I'm not as close to them as I would like to be. But sometimes that's a very difficult uh, thing in a blended family. Most blended families don't make it, you know. But uh, but Bonnie and I are going on you know 17 years together, uh, and um, and uh, and I think that the success of our marriage and how close it is and and uh, has a lot to do with all of the things that I went through. I wouldn't change a bit of it. That's awesome. No, I, I appreciate that. Sometimes we have that hindsight, right? Like, well, you know, maybe I could have said this differently or I could have done that differently. But, 
you know, it, it's it's rare that you find somebody that says, you know what, absolutely, I would change everything. I would do this completely different. Most people love the fact that they did learn something from that and, you know, obviously gained something from that. So, Michael, I'm going to give you a final thought and then uh, we'll play a game together because games are fun, right? Right. What, what would you leave us with? Final thought for you. Final thought. Um, I think that uh, for men today, um, I think that we need to, to reach out to other men and help our brothers. I think our brothers are in tremendous pain. And, and I see it both with men and women. You know, the women have given up their circles of, of women as well as the men have given up their circles of men. And if I could, could say one thing to the men that I would recommend yeah, and, and I'll say this a lot in the podcast. I'll say, you know, you, you should you should get two or three men in your life and you should reach out to them and you should say, let's get together and let's hang out together as men. Let's do something. Let's, you know, anything from hitting golf balls to going out and having dinner together. Um, we, we lose a lot of our masculine core and our masculine edge by not having uninterrupted time every week or every couple of weeks with some good solid men that, um, that we don't have to lie to (laughs) men are, men are incredible liars, uh, especially around other men. And, uh, so my final thought is get yourself a circle of power, even if it's only two or three men and make a commitment to those men and say, let's help each other. Let's get together and let's connect and let's support each other because I can tell you that our brothers are in such pain. The divorce rate is three times that for men, 45 to 65, than it is of women. And the primary reason for men committing suicide these days is loss of a relation, a love relationship of a wife, a fiance, or a girlfriend. Uh, and so, it's our duty as men to reach out and to and to look in. I always say, how can we look into another man's eyes and see his pain and not do anything about it? And if you're a man, you have the ability to do something about it just by reaching out to our brothers and saying, hey, man, hey, brother, I'm there. Let's get together. Let's figure this thing out together. That's my final thought. I love that. And I think not only do men need brothers in their life, they of course need a godly father or godly mentor. And I think, yeah, I think you're, you're doing that great. How can people listen to the podcast? I know you've mentioned it a few times, but how can people go and do that? Yeah, just, uh, uh, search for men of honor, uh, men of honor podcast will come up on every major, um, podcast service that you may have Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, um, we're on all the major ones. Um, we have, um, uh, I recorded, uh, 220 episodes over the course of a year. Uh, I was telling Neil, I did a daily call five days a week for about 13 months. I never missed a day except for one, one time when I was on vacation. Uh, and, um, we've recorded over 220 messages in the men of honor podcast. Uh, there are about 97 episodes right now. Uh, that are there for you to um, to review. It's some of the best training for men, technology for men. I deal with everything from grief 
to uh, sex, to romancing your wife, to being a stronger father, a better husband, uh, a man of faith, um, you name it. Uh, and and we, we put three new episodes a week into the Men of Honor podcast. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, uh, we release three new episodes and three separate topics every week. And we're up to 100 episodes right now. So just go to Men of Honor podcast and uh, you'll find it. MJ, thanks so much for that. Uh, I, I've listened to, I think, like five, maybe even seven now. So uh, great stuff. You're doing some good stuff and some good work for men. So, guys, go check that out. We, of course, will link all of that in our show notes. So, uh, And I know you've written a few books, right? Like eight or so. <laughs> so people can... Yeah, uh, right. can, can I've written uh, eight books, yes. Eight books. So the, the dude knows his stuff. Dude, I say dude lovingly, of course, when I say dude, not disrespectfully. My dad would be like really? You have this amazing guest on and you call him dude. I'm like, Hey, we're dudes now we're dudes together. Right? So there we are. So, Hey bro, uh, hey, bro don't call me dude. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, so we play this game at the end of our show. It's called senseless. Here's my amazing, uh, North Carolina cup. So of course it's in our lovely light blue. I'm going to roll this cause you are in Connecticut, not in Oregon. And you got number five. I'm going to show you that just so you can verify that I'm not lying. Right. You're supposed to say, yeah, right? Since, not... men, since men are such liars. Well, that's what you just said. So yeah. I just wanted to verify that I'm not lying when you rolled the number five. So There was a, there was a five on the die. Yes. Okay, perfect. So uh, number five is this. What is your favorite thing to taste? To tape? Oh, sorry. To taste. Taste. Because oh. <laughs> it's senses, right? We're talking about senses. So the sense of taste is uh, is now on the table. So what is your favorite thing to taste? Oh man, I, I would have to say that it is uh, some uh, Ben and Jerry's uh, New York Super Fudge Chunk ice cream. We just got sponsored by Ben and Jerry's just for that comment. <laughs> I'm just totally kidding. <laughs> That's awesome. That's uh, how you can get sponsors, you know. <laughs> yeah, I name drop products all the time. I don't care. Yeah, yeah. Uh, some people it's don't, but I, I do. I, I don't care. I'll give them some free advertising because maybe one day you never know. Um, so why that of all the flavors? I mean, Ben and Jerry's has a ton of flavors. Why that one? And and why what does that one resonate with you so much? Well, I uh, I I like the um, I like crunchy stuff in my ice cream. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So, uh, MJ, thanks so much for coming on, man. I appreciate it so much. You were, uh, you were amazing. Hopefully you had a good time with us. Absolutely. That was, you've, you've got some great questions. I would highly recommend you as a, uh, a very interesting interviewer, one that, um, uh, sometimes I've been interviewed and I wondered if they're actually tracking along at all. Uh, but you, you tracked along with me really well. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. You're great. Great. You're a great interviewer. Uh, that's a very nice compliment. We appreciate that, of course. Uh, so, guys, do me a favor. Last time I men, checked. Men, men. <laughs> that's right, men. Do me a favor. Will you do Will you do me this favor? I know we ask a lot of favors on the show, but will you go check out what he's doing and, and find yourself a Jonathan? What do I mean by a Jonathan? Well, there's a guy in the Bible, and I know the minute I said Bible, most of you men have turned your ears off and you don't want to hear any more. But hear me out on this. Find yourself a Jonathan. See, there's this guy in the Bible, like I was saying, David. He finds himself a guy named Jonathan, and Jonathan gets his six. Boy, if you don't know what that is, 
you probably need to go back to the Call of Duty days. But find yourself a Jonathan who can really be there for you in that spot weld moment. Will you do that this week? Will you find that guy who can walk arm in arm with you and help you through these storms of life? Because there's nothing better than to have a guy like Jonathan that is going to be closer to you than a brother. That's my challenge for you this week. Go and do that. So guys, just remember that and uh, challenge you to do that. Of course, go check out our new new social media stuff. We got some new stuff going on over there. But of course, our new website, we're super excited about that. Of course, www.opspodcast.com. Guys, we're excited about that. So please go check that out. And of course, remember this. When you walk in other people's shoes, you really do get a different perspective on life. On behalf of executive producer Garrett and myself, Neil Matthews, thanks so much for listening. And stay tuned till next week when we walk in other people's shoes. Thank you so much for joining us on Other People's Shoes. As you know, I'm your host, Neil Matthews. want to thank MJ Durkin so much. Gave us so much great insight, that spot weld moment, guys. Go out and find that guy today, as I was referring to, that Jonathan, that dude that's going to stick by you, that guy of guys, that man of man. Go check out what MJ's doing. We, of course, have linked all of that in our show notes, which you can now find on our amazing new redesigned website that of course being www.opspodcast.com that of course you can see past present and future episodes you can take a look at the store you can donate to the show you can leave us a voicemail straight from the website all brand new cool stuff there a lot of cool toys to click on a lot of cool things to look at just really excited about the redesigned website stay tuned till next week we're going out first class again bring your blanket bring maybe a red sweater I roll. We're going out to the great city and even the better state of Raleigh, North Carolina. Here's a little sneak preview of next week's episode. I wish I could say it was a lot different than it is today, but it's the idol of selfishness. It's the idol of stuff. And I could narrow that down a lot. I could say approving for man. I could say the accolades that come with my profession. Um, I could say just the house that I live in. But I've realized then, and it continues to be a struggle now, that it's the idol of stuff. The more I accumulate, the better I look. That's right. We're going to be sitting down with a very good friend of mine. Her name is Amber. She has a podcast called Grace Enough. I am so excited to have you hear what Amber shares with us. Some powerful stuff about a trip she took to a little place called India. So we're going to kind of get into Amber's shoes and hear what it was like for her to go to India and how that date impacted her life in a mighty way. So guys, stay tuned for that. That, of course, will come out next Wednesday. OPSpodcast.com is a place to be. Bookmark it now. You can actually go there and listen to past episodes anytime you want. They are on demand. So guys, until next week, just remember when you walk in other people's shoes, there is definitely a different perspective of life that does take place. On behalf of myself, Neil Matthews and executive producer Garrett, stay tuned until next week when we walk in other people's shoes.